Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for November 17th, 2021. And I don't know about you, Jay, but man, has this year flown by. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it's already Thanksgiving next week. I know, man. It's crazy. And <laughs> I don't know if I probably said it on air because I think I do every year I have for the past couple of years. We do our our big show. It's one of my favorite shows that we do every year when we do the Comic Source Awards, like usually sometime in January. And I go back and I have to flip through like thousands of books that I've read to get like favorite cliffhanger, favorite moment, and kind of remember what I've read. And I tell myself, okay, next year, each week when I read the books, I'm going to like go through the list as soon as I'm done reading them and, and drop the book in whatever category I may want to think about it later. And I told myself again, I was really going to do that this year. And then before I knew it, it was like February, March, April. I'm like, oh, I really need to do that. And now we're in November and I, I haven't, I haven't done it. I can't, you can't remember, you know what I mean? Like if you don't do that, you know how hard it is to go back and try to remember a favorite moment or, you know, anyway. Uh, yeah, things are good. Uh, it was a big DC week, but kind of a letdown. Uh, honestly, though, I didn't even have a book of the week for DC, uh, to be honest with you, but uh, my partner in crime on the DC spotlights, Rocky from Comic Boom, picked Newbie on the Amazons number two. So, um, but yeah, everything for DC was maybe a little above average at best, and then a lot of average, and then a couple below average, and one absolutely awful. Um, but it, it, just a reminder, if you want to check out the DC books, we do spoilers when we review those on the Tuesday DC spotlights. So go listen to yesterday's episode if you want to hear uh, about the DC books for this week. Uh, we will be talking about Marvel and some independence on this episode. And as we do with every new Comics Wednesday, it will be spoiler free. So we're going to talk about these books, what we thought about them, and kind of talk about them very generally um, so we don't spoil the stories for you. So without uh, further ado, a little bit of a smaller week. So we'll kick it off with Darkhold Wasp. This is... Uh, Actually, as I look at the credits, yeah, it, I didn't realize it was written by jo Jordi Belair. Uh, I was like, wait, Jordi Belair on colors, but she's also the writer. So th that's great because she's a fantastic color artist, one of the best in the business. She's been doing a little bit of writing. You know, we saw her do the Young Wonder Woman story over at DC, and now she's writing Wasp. So that's fantastic. Did not realize that when I read it. Uh, but anyway, she's the writer and the color artist. Claire Rowe does the line work. Clayton Cowles on letters. Uh, yeah, so it's interesting what they're doing with Darkhold that we got one sort of big Darkhold alpha. And then all the members of Darkhold team are getting their own one shots that don't really tie into each other. They're all separate stories. And then we're going to get a Darkhold Omega, I guess. I sort of thought these middle issues we're going to tie into that main story, but no, there's something completely different. So uh, what did you think of Darkhold Wasp, Jay? It was called uh, Kingmaker and it focuses around uh, Janet and she reads the book uh, from Darkhold. So she gets like a, I guess they, that's how it starts. Like each character reads the Darkhold book and they get like an alternate a reality of what things could have been, but yeah. you know, the dark version of it. The artwork and color are amazing because you kind of get that old, uh, you know, 50, 60 style artwork and it fits the storyline because it's supposed to be, you know, kind of a what if back in the past type story. It focuses around Janet and how she has a lot of resentment, you know, for Hank. 
and you just don't see how much animosity is there. And she actually read the story and you kind of look inside like her psychosis of what's going on. And I get that tells from the crypt feel because the ending is just like, wow. Okay. <laughs> I kind of saw it coming, but I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. I mean, in a sense, because, you know, they're superheroes and they're supposed to be doing that kind of stuff, but uh, it was a, a great ending to the story. Yeah. I almost feel like, and, and this is no slight against Jordi Belair because she did a fantastic job. You know, when you talk about these Darkhold books, I think they're, they're supposed to be, in a way, horror stories because uh, we're getting the dark side of these characters. Um, but the thing is, the subtext with Janet and Hank's relationship has always been there. And they even explored it in the regular Marvel Universe, you know, where Hank hit her at one point and it was a big it was a big thing, you know, uh, and the relationship has certainly had its ups and downs. They're, they were married very young. They got divorced. Um, there's still resentment, you know, bitterness there, what have you. Um, and so Jordy Belair really taps into that, but what makes this story in my mind, so horrifying much more so than like maybe the Iron Man story that we've had so far, um, or the, uh, the blade story that we've had so far, the one shots is the, those were sort of fantastical stories that could only take place in the, in the pages of a comic. <laughs> this story is terrifying because it's all too it's all too real when you talk about a dysfunctional marriage you know and that that may be what makes it so scary is that it it could it could be true you know as opposed to the other ones so yeah great job by by Jordy Belair uh first book I'm gonna talk about also a Marvel book it's the amazing Spider-Man uh it's issue 78.bey so 78.beyond and, and we talked about this last week when we were talking about issue 78 and how they put in these dot issues and it it's like if this is story is important enough to tell just put it in the regular issue like i don't understand putting the dots in to squeeze in extra issues or what have you but anyway it's by jed mckay eleonora carlini is the artist frederico blee handles the colors joe caramania on letters and i mean ben riley spider-man shows up in the first few pages of the story but then it's mostly a colleen wing and misty knight story so maybe that's why they felt they couldn't just call it a regular amazing spider-man issue i mean i don't get it honestly because he shows up enough in the beginning and misty knight and colleen wing are working for the beyond corporation as sort of training partners for ben riley so i don't really see why it couldn't have been just part of the story um in terms of of how good of a story it is, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to become a fan of Jed McKay, but I'll say this. I don't know Misty Knight and Colleen Wing well enough. I haven't read enough of their previous stories to say whether or not this characterization of them is on target or not. What I will say is it's pretty snappy dialogue and banter back and forth between the two, which I enjoyed. Um it gives a little more insight and context into the beyond corporation. And, and, you know, I think you hear about a corporation in the pages of a Marvel comic, you, and, you know, if you've been reading Marvel comics, as long as Jay and I have, you sort of know, even without them doing anything bad, that any corporation in the Marvel universe is going to have some um, tendencies to, be sort of soulless and, and do things that aren't in the best interest of the heroes. At least that's the way it's always played out. Uh, and then last issue, we sort of saw that pushed out front, like right in front of our faces with them 
uh, thinking about maybe maybe we don't give Ben Riley the cure when he's been bit by Morbius, the living vampire. Like, what might happen? Could it possibly benefit us? I mean, that's just shady and shysty and all kinds of evil in a way. Um, so we know Misty and, and Colleen Wing are working for the Beyond Corporation, like I said, helping train Ben Riley. And the, the Beyond Corporation is certainly trying to put on this this public image of being a heroic corporation out to help the little guy and whatnot. But you just wonder what they're really after here, you know, and if they're a corporation, aren't they in the business of making money? And oftentimes making money is diametrically opposed to doing the right thing. So I guess we'll see how it plays out. And uh, last thing I'll mention about it is just, again, why did it have to be a separate thing? Because at the end, Misty and Colleen get their hands on something. And I think they have their suspicions about the Beyond Corporation as well. Because the the antagonist they take on sort of gives up what could be uh, something very valuable. um, And they don't turn it over. They instead give it to somebody else. And it seems like there's more of the story to tell because it even says at the end on the last page to be continued. I'm assuming the story is going to be continued in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. So again, why did this have to be a point issue? Uh, not sure. But overall, it's it's a fun issue. Um, I do feel like I have better context for the Beyond Corporation and for Misty and Colleen after reading this. Because again, I haven't read any Daughters of the Dragon story. I've, I'm probably more familiar with Misty on her own, like showing up in pages of Iron Man and whatnot. I really haven't read hardly any Colleen Wings. So, but overall, I thought it was solid. Um, I know Jay said he didn't really like the art. I didn't, I didn't mind it. It's not my favorite. It's a little stylized, um, but it's really kinetic and it kind of suited the fast pace of the story. So all in all, not bad. Um, honestly, my biggest complaint is just that they made it a point issue. Didn't feel necessary. Should have just called it a regular issue of Spider-Man. Uh, okay. Up next uh, from Image. This is uh, from writer Jeff Lemire. Andrea Sorrentino handles the art. Dave Stewart on colors. Steve Wands on letters. It's the third issue of Primordial, uh, which has been a pretty big trip so far. Still don't know exactly where it's going, but what do you think, Jay? I like it. It's uh, Now at the beginning of the story, we kind of get the, uh, the animals that are missing. So there is uh, probably going to say around, but it's Laika, the dog. Lakia is the dog's name. It's the Russian dog. And then you got Baker and Abel, the two monkeys from Earth. We know already that, you know, it's no spoiler. We know that they were sent in space, but we know they're still alive. Everybody, United States and Russia are both trying to keep it a secret that, you know, that they're still alive because there's more going on there, but they both canceled their space programs because of this reason. So we got these characters, like I said, three animals are talking now, and we figure out, you know, that uh, we kind of go back and forth to seeing how they uh, get the ability to speak, which is kind of cool. Uh, we also have uh, Dr. Pembroke. Uh, he's in East Berlin with the other Russians, uh, Ilana, and they're trying to figure out, you know, uh, more of the, the story, but they got the KGB, you know, after them. And then we go back and forth. Like I said, from that, we go back to the animals and we see like their new little world. So it's it's, it's interesting. It's a fast paced book because it's um, I forgot to be more, but it's just I had to read it twice because like, that's it. It seems so quick. But I like it. And it's, uh, it's interesting. I want to see where they're going to go with it. Yeah, it's it. It's one of those books kind of like um, 
Gideon Falls, honestly, you know, which is an, another book from this creative team. that was absolutely fantastic where uh, I think there's a lot in the subtext of the art that we won't be able to pick up on until we sort of understand what's going on in the world of, of these animals and, and where exactly they are in some sort of exotic part of uh, space, as opposed to the scenes on earth, which is all about the cold war. Um, at least it has a cold war feel uh, with KGB after the, the scientists who are trying to track down these animals and, and what it might mean. So it's definitely a slow burn, but um, pretty interesting so far. Uh, okay. Up next, I have another Marvel book. It's called Dark Ages. It's from writer Tom Taylor. The art is by Eben Cabello or Caiello rather. Uh, colors by Brian Raber. Letters are by Joe Sabino. So if you're not familiar with Dark Ages, what Tom Taylor has done here is basically in the first issue, there was this huge threat. I think it was called the Unmaker, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and the Unmaker was trapped thousands and thousands of years ago in the center of the earth. And he wakes up and he's threatening to basically crack the earth open like an egg. And so all these heroes go down there, to try to stop them. And in order to try to stop them, Dr. Strange creates this EMP spell which knocks out all the electricity on the planet. But unfortunately, while the EMP spell is active, Dr. Strange is killed. So there's nobody to deactivate the EMP spell. So even though they managed to defeat the Unmaker, uh, they're thrown back in the dark ages. Electricity doesn't work on earth anymore because there's this EMP field. And so that, that was the first issue. Second issue, we jump forward. We see the after effects of that and they're using like steam power and fire and, all this kind of stuff. And there's different pockets of civilization. Civilization isn't as sort of proliferated or rampant as it used to be. There's just little pockets with heroes protecting them here and there. Uh, world's a very different place. And then we find out that apocalypse actually controls all of Europe and they do have electricity in one little part of uh, Europe. And the way that they're doing that is apocalypse has, he's recruited the purple man to take over uh, and mind control a bunch of villains and heroes, uh, including Magneto. And Magneto is basically using his power to create a Faraday cage, which blocks the EMP field, which then allows electricity to function inside that Faraday cage. So that we found out last issue. So issue three starts off and we see the heroes start to um, investigate what's going on with um with the disappearance of Tony Stark, who was kidnapped last issue by uh, Apocalypse because uh, Apocalypse wants to awaken the Unmaker and take his power. That was the last page reveal for issue two. So Tony's missing. They investigate. They realize that Apocalypse took him and they head over there, try to do it like on the down low, but it doesn't exactly work out real well for the heroes um, that go to try to find out what apocalypse is up to. So it looks like maybe the heroes, you know, maybe they didn't, we, we don't know because of that time jump. We don't know if they allowed uh, apocalypse to take over because they didn't feel like they Europe, they allowed apocalypse to take over Europe because they didn't feel like they had the power to stop them. Didn't feel like it was their place to stop them. They were focused on just, you know, making sure America was in good shape or what was going on. But the fact that apocalypse seems to be so far ahead of them in terms of technology in this dark ages uh, 
world does not bode well for the heroes. And the last thing that I'll say is much like the deceased title over at DC that Tom Taylor did. This is a brutal book. Like no, no character is safe at any moment. Tom Taylor could just walking dead somebody. And it, it makes for a very tense read. Um, and it's kind of fun because obviously it's out of main continuity, but uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And the art, super detailed, great color work, a lot of action. Um, but yeah, it's, this one, this issue was brutal. Like somebody that I didn't expect. Well, there were things that happened. I didn't expect. I'll just put it that way. So really, really good issue. Um, would have been my book of the week, but there was one other title that just edged it out. Uh, okay. Over to Jay. He's got another um, Marvel book to talk about. It's Spider-Woman. We're up to issue number 17 from writer Carla Pacheco. Pere Perez is the artist. Frank Jaramata does the colors. And Travis Lanham on letters. It's a bit of a one-shot, um, kind of a standalone issue for Spider-Woman. But uh, what do you think, Jay? It's fun. Like I said, it's never a lot of time reading uh, Spider-Woman because the artwork's great and the stories are always... Uh... They're serious, but they're also funny at the same time. You know, they kind of got that little humor in there, which is kind of nice. Uh, but this one just uh, starts off with Jessica after her battle with her brother. You know, she's got to have a cast on to kind of heal herself. She finds a babysitter. She visits her friend, uh, Lindsay, who's, you know, an, uh, a stunt woman. And that's where things kind of go a little awry because she did something she wasn't supposed to. And the, uh, the, the group comes for payback. <laughs> so it's like a little fact that goes on. Uh, it's, not, it's not bad. It's, it was at, the banter was funny. The back and forth with all the characters, even the uh, the, the star, I guess, of the uh, set. The ending, though, kind of leaves you going, "Okay, so what's going to happen next?" But when they show the preview of the next cover, you're like, "Oh, it's an old villain that we all kind of hate, but he's coming back." So you're like, "Oh, okay, it kind of makes sense now. He's part of the show." But like I said, it's never a letdown with uh, Spider Woman. I always enjoy the stories. Yeah, I feel like. Um this is sort of a backdoor prelude to what comes next. I mean, we know that uh, Chip Zdarsky has his big devil's reign uh, crossover or daredevil event coming up. So uh, I did not realize that spider woman was going to cross over with that, but I'm, I'm glad to see that it is um, because when you, yeah, when you talk about Jessica drew street level character, uh, very similar to, to Daredevil in a lot of ways. And, and the villain is a classic villain who I feel matches up well against Jessica Drew, just like uh, they match up well against Daredevil. And the art is fantastic as always. And yeah, the the best thing about this book, and I say it every time, is just the, the voice that Carla Pacheco brings. I always felt like Jessica Drew, especially in her original series, always felt like this older character that I don't want to say she was boring, but just more serious and, and sort of down to earth and kind of reserved. Uh, and Carla Pacheco really gives her this kind of lighthearted feel. Um, she's a little bit of a mess, just, just the mess. <laughs> um, but she always tries her hardest and, and she has a lot of heart. And so I love, love the characterization that Carla Pacheco brings to, uh, to Jessica Drew. And she was always uh, stiff in the beginning. When like I used, yeah. I have a huge Spider-Man fan, so I got the very first run to what she has now, and the you know it's just seeing her grow. You know when she became a mother and everything is just uh, it's great. I like it. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, okay. Up next, I have part four of the Kang, the Conqueror miniseries from writers Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Carlos Magno is on art. Espin Gretchen is the color artist. Joe Caramagna on letters. Um, you know, I, I talked about this being sort of a definitive Kang series and how Kang's history is so convoluted and confusing and being that Kang's about to become a big part of the MCU that this was probably the right time to have a series like this and you start reading it and the first issue wasn't was pretty solid in terms of being kind of a straightforward linear narrative and didn't get too confusing but then two and three threw some stuff in there with time travel and all that and it, it just it makes it it makes it convoluted you can't help but talk about Kang as a character and, and have it become convoluted. But this, this issue four is a little more straightforward and it sort of brings it back to feeling a, feeling a little more simple. Um, and I, I'm surprised how much I'm enjoying Kang as a character. Cause Kang's not, he's not a character that I necessarily liked or disliked, but just because his history was so convoluted and I didn't have a good understanding of it, it always felt like sort of a chore to read any Kang story because I always felt like, you know, I can read it and invest as much time as I can in that particular story. But unless I've read every Kang story and I got like a flow chart with all these lines or a bulletin board with all these strings going from this pin to that pin to whatever, I'm really not going to have a true understanding of it. You just have to work so hard to understand a Kang story. And I'm not willing to put that much time into it because I don't really care that much about the character. Um, so what's so surprising about the series is that Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly have kind of flipped that idea on its head. I sort of don't care as much about Kang's history or um, his time as Ramatut or Immortus or the Scarlet Centurion or whatever. Um, I'm just invested in the character. They've, they've, They've brought emotion and motivation and kind of a personality to Kang that he's never had before. He's not just this mustache twirling conqueror of time that wants to conquer time for the sake of conquering time and wants power for the sake of having power. Um, they've given him motivation. They've given him uh, emotion and feelings that are relatable, uh, which has made him, in my mind, an infinitely more fascinating character um, and i would say it, it might be a little bit of work and there may be times where you feel a little bit lost um because lansing and kelly do refer to other kang stories sort of obliquely uh, and other big eras and and uh, events that have happened in kang's past present future i guess it's hard to say with kang where exactly it fits but you can sort of ignore all that you can just read it at face value and focus on the version of Kang they give you in this story and the journey that he goes on. Um, and it's, it's a masterful job. I mean, these guys have made me care about Kang. They've made me like Kang and they've made me want to go back and invest that time in Kang and, and read all of Kang's appearances and see how it informs this particular story. So, uh, and then the art by Carlos Magno is, is just stunningly good, wonderful detail, great camera angles. The color's great. Uh, backgrounds are amazing. There's a great montage double page spread. There's a couple of other very impactful um, 
splash pages. So uh, it's just a fantastic issue. Best issue of this series so far. Uh, just was blown away by how good it was. Uh, okay, last book Jay's going to talk about. We continue with uh, Marvel Marvel Heavy Week this week, I guess. Uh, it's Moon Knight. We're up to issue number five. It's from writer Jed McKay. The art is by Alessandro Capuccio. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by Cordy Petit. So uh, what'd you think of uh, Moon Knight number five? I think this one actually had a lot more uh, backstory. It's called Horoscope and uh, starts off with... Uh, Mark Spector talking to his uh, therapist, Dr. Uh, Sturman. And then she's trying to, yeah, she, you know, it's pretty much trying to talk to him, telling him to be more truthful. And he kind of like, you know, I guess his, his monologue of, you know, I'm Moon Knight, I have a mission, yada, yada, you know, the same old story. And then we go back where he uh, has help from one of his uh, guys named uh, Terry, you know, that because he knows being, Someone in the shadows watching him, but he's not sure who. Uh, so Terry's the other character that kind of uh, kind of leads him to the who's who's doing it. We also got another character named Soldier. We get more backstory of the Soldier, who he is. But the reason I like this story a lot is because uh, Moonlight actually kind of breaks down when his therapist and tells more of his backstory, his his family, and I kind of enjoy that because it kind of makes more sense of why he does what he does. And I guess for me, like I said, I had a different book of the week, but I think I'm going to go with this one because I've always kind of liked Moon Knight, but this one I think had a little more meat and potatoes of the character and what he does, what he does, you know. There's a lot of religious in it, but I kind of get it because it's just neat. You got to read it to get it. And if you're a Moon Knight fan, I think you appreciate it if you get the more of a, uh, his, uh, his past in the story. Danny's neat because we get a new, uh, we get a villain and the villain revealed of who's watching him in the shadows. So I guess we'll just see if it becomes a bloodbath or not the next episode, the next issue. Yeah, this was my favorite issue of the series so far. You know, I talked about, I think during the first issue, maybe the second, about how I really didn't like how so many writers over the past couple of series have leaned into this idea that Mark Spector's insane, you know, with his dissociative identity disorder, what used to be called split personality. And lean into the idea that he's just kind of a nutcase or whatever. And I, I want him to be something more. I want him to kind of pull himself together uh, and kind of face his demons and be, be heroic, face his inner demons, overcome them, show us some, some heroism uh, and kind of the angst that he shows in this issue gives us the idea or the impression, at least that he's aware he, he's very self-aware of the problems in his recent past. And even though it's a little bit of a kind of a self-help cliche, if you will, um, as a psychology major, I will say there's a lot of truth to it. The first thing you need to do as a person to overcome a problem is admit there is a problem and be able to recognize it so that you can take the steps you need to rectify it. And we're getting some hints that that might be the case. So if that's the case and Jed McKay can bring Mark Spector back to Again, he doesn't need to come all the way back to being just a generic Marvel uh, copy of Batman, uh, you know, rich guy buying a bunch of gadgets to take down criminals, um, you know, because he should be different. He's he's a unique character. He's not Batman. He's not Bruce Wayne. But let's get away from the he's crazy. He's insane. He doesn't know what's reality and what's not kind of thing like that needs to go away. Like I just. I need him to be a little more traditionally super heroic. That's the Moon Knight that I prefer. So anyway, potential there, uh, this, that issue made me really happy. 
Uh, so my book of the week is Deep Beyond. Uh, it's been a fantastic series throughout. We're up to issue number 10. Uh, it's from writers Mirka Andolfo and David Goy. You may recognize that name, Mirka Andolfo. She's more known for her art than her writing, but she's co-writer here. The line work is done by Andrea Bricardo, colors by Barbara Nascenzo, letters by Maurizio Clausi. And I, I have talked throughout uh, whenever one of these issues comes out about what a fascinating story Deep Beyond is. It started out and it seemed like it was one small thing. It grew in scope and became this huge dimension hopping sci-fi soap operatic epic of uh, post-apocalyptic earth where everything is poisoned and there's mutated animals and monsters and the environment itself will kill you. Um, and then going through a doorway to another dimension where these aliens who are very different than us and very long lived and time passes differently in that dimension. And, um, what the governments of the earth knew and didn't know is still a little bit up in the air, but as the travelers that went to that dimension have come back and it's become a little bit more of like a conspiracy theory type story with this rebellion that was out there uh, looking for a lost member and eventually ended up in another dimension and now comes back. Um, and they're looking to take advantage of the knowledge they gained in that dimension to take out the the government that still exists in the U S that's sort of fascist and, and oppressive and non-transparent and taking advantage of, of the lesser classes. So it's like this, this story has, has it all. It has morphed from, you know, a, a smaller story about a post-apocalyptic U S or world that's, that's poisoned. And, and you wonder if it's going to be some kind of a body horror or, you know, mutation survival type of epic to growing in scope, to becoming this big sci-fi dimension uh, traversing story to now the politics taking more of the forefront with this conspiracy theory uh, in the backdrop of this sci-fi story with, monsters in the ocean and poison atmosphere and, and whatever. So like every time you, I think that these writers can't possibly pack more into their narrative, they do so. Um, like, I just love this story. I, I just love the series. It's absolutely fantastic. I like when I looked at the issue number and I think about how much story there's been and I'm like, wait, we're only up to issue 10 oh my God, has this, has this story been fantastic? Now, granted, the issues are usually more than um, 20 pages. We're usually getting like 24 pages of story. So, you know, usually a comic's 20 or 22. So we are getting, you know, a couple more pages here or there, but this thing is fantastic. I can't wait till it's all said and done and I get to sit down and, and read it just from start to finish because I think it's really engrossing and really compelling the artwork is fantastic. The color work is great. Uh, and, and, you know, these these certainly aren't names that are known in U.S. comic circles. I think most of these creators are Italian. And Mirka Andolfo, people know her. She's done work in American comics, but she's Italian as well. Um, I, I just continue to be impressed and blown away. I cannot recommend the series highly enough. So check it out if you're so inclined. Deep Beyond uh, from Image 
it's absolutely fantastic. So, uh, all right, well, that's all the books we're going to talk about in detail. Let me give a rundown on some of the other titles you might want to be on the lookout for. Uh, we talked about these first two books last week, but they actually were delayed. And, and again, it's just something that's going to happen. You know, we get these press previews from the publishers at a, sometimes at the beginning of the month with release release dates and then with the uh, delays in shipping and paper shortages causing printing delays. Sometimes things are delayed. So we, again, we talked about these two books last week, but they should be coming out this week. It's from Aftershock. We have Almost American number three and we have Chicken Devil number two. They're both worth your time. Check them out. Um, from uh, AWA, we have Not All Robots number four from uh, Mark Russell over at Boom Studios, Eat the Rich number four of five, which is as crazy as it sounds, <laughs> Eat the Rich. Uh, House of Slaughter is getting a second printing. Uh, we also have a hardcover for Once in Future Deluxe Edition uh, over at DC. And again, you can check these out on our DC Spotlight from yesterday. We have Aquaman the Becoming number three of six. Batman number 117, which continues the Fear State storyline. Batman Secret Files, The Gardener, number one, which is almost more of a Poison Ivy origin story. Uh, Batman versus Big B, A Wolf in Gotham, number three of six, which ties into Bill Willingham's Fables first, I guess you'll call it. Uh, Blue and Gold, number four of eight from Dan Jurgens, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold story, which is fantastic. Green Lantern, number eight from Jeffrey Thorne. Justice League, number 69 from... Brian Michael Bendis that has a Justice League dark backup that's fantastic. Uh, nice House on the Lake, number six of 12, which was probably the best DC book that came out yesterday if I had to pick one. 12-issue uh, mini or maxi series, if you want to say it that way, halfway through with issue six. Nightwing, number 86, which is also a Fear State tie-in. Finishes off the Fear State tie-ins for Nightwing, thank God, so we can get back to Tom Taylor's original story with Bruno Redondo Art. Nubia and the Amazons, number two of six, which I mentioned was Rocky's book of the week for DC. Uh, Robin's number one of six from Tim Seeley, which is the book that won the voting contest for DC when people got to vote on what story they wanted. Uh, Suicide Squad, number nine, sees Suicide Squad go to space. It's as crazy as it sounds. Uh, we also have Suicide Squad, King Shark, number three of six. Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number five of eight. Uh, I encourage you to go... Even if you don't listen to the whole DC spotlight, just go listen to me talk about Superman woman of tomorrow. Number five. Uh, I'm a big Tom King fan, but there was something that happened in that story that pulled me out of the story the entire time. And I, I went on a little rant about it. It's pretty funny. According to what Rocky told me uh, anyway, Superman son of Kal-El number five, which has been in the news for the last three or four weeks because John Kent kisses another boy, big deal. Uh, Wonder woman evolution. Number one, of eight from writer Stephanie Phillips with art by Mike Hawthorne. Uh, moving on to uh, IDW, we have Star Wars The High Republic Adventures number 10, which is that uh, kids' version of, uh, of Star Wars. And there's also Teenage Mutant Turtles The Last Ronin uh, hardcover or uh, design archive, which gives a bunch of uh, background art. Uh, image in addition to the books that we talked about, Walking Dead Deluxe, number 27, obviously from writer uh, Robert Kirkman that colorizes his uh, previous Walking Dead series. At Marvel, in addition to the books we talked about, we have Black Panther Legends, number two. We have uh, a Fantastic Four Anniversary Tribute, number one. Um, 
which basically it's kind of like the Captain America uh, comics tribute that we had where every page is drawn by a different artist. So the Fantastic Four anniversary tribute has Fantastic Four number one and Fantastic Four annual number three. And every single page is drawn by a different art team. So pretty solid. And if you've never read Fantastic Four number one or Fantastic Four annual number three, it's a great way to, um, to experience those stories for the first time. Uh, we also have Kang the Conqueror, number 405. Kazar Lord, or I'm sorry, I we talk, I talked about <laughs> Kang the Conqueror. I meant to say Kazar Lord of the Savage Land, number 305. Uh, Sword, number 10. Shang-Chi, number 6. And then over in the X-Men corner of the universe, X-Force, number 25. Uh, Blade Runner 2029, number... Uh, uh, number five through eight, a Sid Mead version pack. So I guess you can get all three of those issues at the same time. And also Blade Runner Origins, number eight. Those Blade Runner books from Titan are pretty solid. Also, I'll mention Gun Honey, number three, because uh, it's got some fantastic covers. I feel like that, I hear a lot about people wanting to buy Gun Honey, but oftentimes it's because of the cover artist. But hey, whatever floats your boat. Uh, over at Valiant, Exo Man of War is up to number eight. And then we have a new number one from Vault Comics called Radio Apocalypse. Number one and wasted space is up to issue number 25. So uh, anything else that's coming out or potentially coming out today, Jay, that you want to mention? Oh, no, I was looking forward to that radio apocalypse. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that one. Uh, Yeah, I know nothing about it. What do you you have any idea what it's about? It's just like the end of the world. There's one radio station left. And I guess it's just trying to uh, get people are trying to listen to it to try to reconnect in the world. So it's kind of interesting. It's by Ram V. So I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. Uh, yeah. The solicit says long after the rock out of space struck the world and turned it all to dust in Bakerstown stands the last radio station on the planet, radio apocalypse broadcasting into the unknown, a beacon in the dark for those who wander the lost places. Now changes coming to Bakertown among the refugees flocking into an already precarious settlement an orphan boy, Ryan, caught in an indiscretion will twine his fate with the radio station. And in doing so, begin the mixtape of love and heartbreak, the soundtrack to the end of the world. Uh, it's by Ram V. Yeah, so that's why uh, I kind of caught my interest. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, I might have to pick that up myself because uh, Ram V is a fantastic writer. So, uh, okay, well, I guess that's going to do it, everybody. Uh, as always, we want to thank you for joining and for listening. We got a couple other episodes coming out this week. Uh, I chatted or will have chatted by the time you hear this with, um, with the, the creator of uh, drawing a blank all of a sudden lavender Jack. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. <laughs> lavender Jack from webtoons, which is an Eisner nominated uh, web comic or digital comic. Uh, Dan Scotty is the the creator. He's the writer and artist. Uh, he's been on the show a couple times before. I highly recommend the series. Uh, and it's been a while since we've had Dan on. So uh, he's going to come on and chat about uh, Lavender Jack. And then I also had a great conversation this week with Scott Snyder uh, about everything he has going on over at uh, Comixology and Noctera at Image. Uh, so uh, it was great to catch up with Scott. Haven't had him on in a while. So that's coming later this week as well. So uh, be sure you're uh, subscribed to the Comic Source podcast on your favorite podcast app or podcast platform so you don't miss out on any of those great episodes. So uh, once again, I want to thank everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. 
You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.